You're listening to episode 73 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. Every week we tell stories about writers and discuss writing techniques. I'm Simon Jones, Digital Marketing Manager here at the Centre. And I'm Steph McKenna, Communications Manager. Yes. Uh, Apologies for missing a week on the podcast last week. I was exceedingly ill. Very poorly. Flu season. Which caught us rather by surprise. Mm -hmm. But we are back today for the last episode of the year. Oh, what an honour. I know. So it's a week before Christmas and we have an Ed Parnell special interview coming up. Yeah. Um, But before we get to that, uh, I thought we'd take a quick look back at the year's podding Mm. to see which episodes we're particularly excited by that we've done. So, Steph, what do you reckon? Well, I chose... So, I chose three. Mm. I chose episode 41, Life of a Bookseller, which was that with... Was fun. Joe Heddinger from the Book Hive. So, yeah. I believe you and Peggy went to the Book Hive for that, which is our... Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's our independent... One of our independent bookshops in Norwich. Yeah, there's a dog guest star on that episode. Yeah, I was going to say that might have been a highlight, was the dog guest star. Yep. I enjoyed how natural it was in that respect, that mm-hmm. you, you know, left the podcaster running when... Just during a busy day in the shop, really, and Joe talked about... Um, his career in book selling and uh, what independent bookshops need to do to survive in the current climate. And yeah, it was just really interesting. Really enjoyed the whole setup of that. And it's always a pleasure to have Peggy on the podcast. Uh, I also went for episode 57, which was one of our International Literature Showcase podcasts. It was a conversation between the crime writer and Booker Prize judge Val McDermid and the Guardian online books editor Sean Kane. And they were talking about Val's selection of 10 of the most compelling LGBTQI plus writers working in the UK today. So I thought that was a that was a fascinating discussion and I definitely added to my added to my book pile afterwards, basically. I was like writing notes as I went along with books and, you know, uh, writers that I really wanted to to read next. So I just thought it was a really rewarding discussion. Um, and finally, I've actually picked this conversation on this podcast. I haven't done lots of interviews this year. I've done a few, but I really enjoyed chatting to um, Ed Parnell about his book, Ghostland. It's something that's very much of interest to me. Uh, I really enjoyed reading it. And Ed's just always a really nice guy to chat to. So um, I found that very rewarding. Yeah, what a tease. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, a bit of a teaser there, but you don't have to wait too much longer. It's coming up in a minute. Yeah, so yeah, so I, I've picked a couple of selections, Booker Prize style. Um, <laughs> first up, and these are very much me as well. Uh, so number 33, we... Game? We, no, Possibly, yeah. yes. Possibly games related. So yeah, number 33, we have John Ingold from Inkle talking about... We're talking about Heaven's Vault and 80 Days in Theory, but it was sort of turned into this hour-long masterclass on how to write computer games. That's cool. What are the first two things that you just mentioned? Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Vault. Not Heaven's Gate. No. No, that's that's the other thing. That's a cult. Yes. Heaven's Vault is the game they came out with this year, which um, has subsequently gone on to all the Game of the Year lists. The New Yorker Mm. had it on their top games of the year. It's done extremely well. He's been nominated and has won all sorts of awards for the writing of it um, I mean I managed to talk to John just before the game came out I didn't really know how he found mm-hmm. the time um, and then along a similar vein uh, episode 51 was Kelsey Beecham who was the writer on another game called Outer Wilds which again is on every game of the year selection it's number Brilliant. one for a lot of critics does completely new things in terms of storytelling in an interactive medium uh, Kelsey again is great shares all kinds of tips mm. so those two 
sort of back to back make for this amazing little tuition on how to write this kind of stuff. So anyone who's interested should definitely check those out. That's really great. It's something that until I guess I worked with you, um, I didn't really think of as, you know, a type of, well, not didn't think of as a type of writing, but I, I didn't think about it as much that actually, you know, storytelling and writing for games is actually a huge undertaking, really, isn't it? And it requires a lot of skill. Yeah, and they're still trying to figure out how to do a lot of it because mm, there's still mm. people doing it in new ways, mm. which I find particularly exciting. Um, I mean, it's a relatively sort of small part of what we do here mm, um, mm. in terms of games writing, but that's why it was nice to have just a couple of episodes on the pod this year that really, really dived in quite deeply onto onto that medium. And also because you mentioned the uh, fantastic interview between Val and Sean, uh, I also... Th- Reminded me how much I enjoyed Elif Shafak's conversation. Oh, Elif's was great as well, wasn't it? And that was with Badisha, uh, which we recorded down at London Book Fair for the launch of the first uh, International Literature Showcase this year, which was focusing on women writers. And again, it's this hour-long conversation that takes in so many fascinating themes Mm. and also introduces you, of course, to Elif's selection of writers. So it's a great way to discover some new reads as well. Mm, yeah, that's a good point, actually. If people haven't, if people are looking for podcast episodes to go back to listen to, you couldn't go wrong with actually packaging those three up together mm. and listening to Alif discuss her list, Val discuss her list, and uh, Jackie spoke about her selection of 10 of the best BAME writers working in the UK today as well. Yeah, and although you know those came out when we launched the showcases, they're every bit as valid now and the themes being discussed uh, aren't going to go away. Absolutely. Uh, which is, in some cases, good, in some cases, bad. Mm. <laughs> so, Steph, tell us some more about Ed Parnell. Uh, so, Ed is a really fascinating, talented guy that we got to know many years ago when he was on our Escalator Talent Development Scheme. He was working on his first novel, The Listeners, and I read that novel around that time, I think. It's a really, really great book um and he has returned with a second book and this one is uh, a work of creative non-fiction called ghostland and it's a look at british folklore british literature and it's part kind of nature writing part travel writing part memoir and it involves ed traveling around the country um revisiting a lot of the the sort of ghost stories and books that he really enjoyed as a young person and some of the locations that he used to visit with his family as well. Uh, it's a really fantastic book that I would recommend um, to anyone who's interested in kind of psychogeography, a really well-researched, put-together novel. It's packed with facts and packed with things to go back and sort of list and have a look at later. Um, so we've seen Ed a few times recently. He did a UEA Live with us talking about Ghostland. Um, he came in for this chat, obviously, and I saw him the other day at a a Christmas event uh, in Norwich, which was um, MR James themed as well. So uh, I think Ed and I have a lot of mutual interests. It was very nice to have a chat with him. And he's also doing a creative writing online course with us that begins in February, I think. Is it February? Yeah, so bookings are open for that. So if you Mm. like his work or if you listen to this interview and like the sound of him, then Mm. do check that out. You can find more information over on the website. It's yeah, it's a, what, a 12-week course mm. about writing creative non-fiction. Yeah, I think he'd be a fantastic tutor as well. I'm kind of amazed at just how much research went into the book, uh, into Ghostland. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. I think he'd be yeah a fantastic choice. Great. Well, here is Steph talking with Ed a couple of weeks ago. 
Ed, thank you very much for being here. It's very kind of you to come along. Um, before we talk about Ghostland, I just wanted to ask you a bit about Escalator, actually. Okay. Because Escalator, our talent development scheme, which we've been running for about 15 years, is just opened again for applications. So people might be listening and thinking about applying. And I just wanted to ask, when you were working in your first book, The Listeners, which I think you were sort of working on during the Escalator scheme, was that something you were working on when you yeah, were I, I Yeah, I think I'd... I'd finished a draft, the first draft of it mm. when I applied. So, yeah. um, so that was what you yeah. worked on. How valuable was the mentoring process for you? I'm just thinking in terms of people who might think about applying for Escalator or uh, are thinking of maybe signing up some, for some mentoring classes. How valuable was that for you to have someone sort of one-to-one to speak to? It was, yeah, it was really useful. I, I got paired with um, a really excellent non-fiction writer, Midge yeah. Gillies, who I think just before I was paired with her, she'd written a book about the Second World War. Okay. So my novel, The Listeners, was set at the start of the Second World War. Yeah. So I think that was how the kind of the two, that, kind of that was together. the thought process. Mm. But actually having her to kind of look over it, look over the historical kind of elements of it and mm. the kind of tone, that was that was really useful. But yeah. The whole process was fantastic as much for actually meeting the other people on the group. Mm. We've actually all stayed kind of, we're not in touch that much, but I'm I'm still kind of really good friends with one of the writers, a couple of the writers off it. And the rest of us try and get together, you know, probably every couple of years or something. So we met, we we bonded really well and were really supportive of each other's work. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, because it's been a, it was a while ago. It's about 10 years, it's more than 12 years ago or something. Wow, yeah, it's great that you're still in touch with each other. Yeah, no, so that was a really, I I suppose an unexpected, Mm. you know, getting the the kind of arts, the support to get the Arts Council grant and some money, that was obviously brilliant. And the mentor, the mentoring, the, we got training on um, public speaking, you probably, you, you'll think, God, you've forgotten all of that. Listening to me now, but um, we <laughs> had all of that for readings and things, yeah. and like, even just like how to use a mic and stuff. Mm. That was that was really useful. But I think you know, meeting those other writers who we became friends, that yeah. that was great as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so your so this is your second book. It's a non-fiction book this time. Yeah, Ghostland. Um, it was released last month. It's a historical account of, sort of ghost stories and folklore and British literature and cinema, but it's kind of intermingled with nature writing, travel writing, memoir. I love the way those sort of components intertwine together in a very natural way. Yeah. How did that process begin for you, though? Was there, was there anything that came first of those kind of sections? Were you thinking of writing something that was kind of part memoir? Did, it, did that structure just sort of naturally... So how it came about, I was I was essentially prevaricating, not writing a second novel, mm. and I had some ideas, and one of my ideas involved the Victorian-born ghost story writer M.R. James, Brilliant. who yeah. was a Cambridge professor, as a bit character. That's actually been done. Penelope, Penelope Fitzgerald did it in her really good novel, The Gate of Angels. Yeah. I, I probably didn't realise that at the yeah. time. Anyway, I was thinking around for ideas. So I, I visited the place where James grew up, mm. which is a little spooky little village called Great Livermere, just outside Bury St Edmunds. And when I got home, I had taken lots of pictures and I wrote a rare blog post about it, which happened to get seen by um, an editor at HarperCollins, mm. who a couple of months later emailed me to wow. say, have you ever thought about writing a non-fiction book oh, on this subject? Oh, that's interesting, yeah. And I, of course, was 
all over that and yeah. got went down to see him the first opportunity I got and we, we got on really well we had like the shared love of old kind of trashy 60s and 70s horror films things like That's that good. yeah bonded um, over hammer that. horror and things and that was I went away then kind of thinking well yeah would I like to come up with a proposal mm. would I like to write about this and at that point I, th- I thought that I did and I, I like the idea of actually somebody commissioning a book which is how it kind of happens with mm. non-fiction it works a little bit differently mm. with a novel you essentially have to write the whole thing and then hope that you can kind of send yeah. it to a publisher <laughs> yeah. so anyway I thought well if I, if I did want to write it how would I do it and I, I was kind of conscious that I'm not an academic mm. who's specialised in this field and there's you know there, there must be very many people who are much more qualified, if you like, mm. to, to write on the subject. I mean, I, I, I knew quite a lot about it and was really interested in all of these writers and films and things. But I, I guess I wanted to bring something of myself to it. And then I kind of thought about my own family history. And this, the more I thought about it, I, I could see how lots of the writers I'd like to explore, how their lives tied into... Mm places I'd been to as a kid on family holidays and things and I say they tied in with my own kind of family story a bit so I, I went away and came back with this proposal that included all of this mm. kind of autobiographical stuff and I think they were completely shocked at HarperCollins because yeah. they they weren't really expecting that <laughs> they're expecting a book about folk horror yeah. and old ghost stories and they suddenly had this extra thing and they yeah. they fortunately really loved the idea and went for yeah. it so it makes it so much more compelling I think just to you're getting it's almost for me reading it I was like finding myself writing lists of things to go back to you know books to check out and yeah. you know places you mentioned but yeah interweaving this this narrative of kind of your life and the experiences that you've been through I just think yeah it just worked perfectly it was so clever but was it hard to structure when you came to write it did it flow naturally well, did I, you have to I, I guess it? I kind of structured it because with non-fiction you have to create this big mm. sort of pitch document mm. it's like I had this 50 page chapter by chapter document that then went mm. to the publishers yeah so I'd kind of thought about the structure now okay when I came to write it some of those chapters kind of fell by the wayside and other things new things came in and new books I wanted to look at on new films and kind of to to an extent new kind of parts of my own kind of travels within the book mm. but I had at least kind of I, I had a kind of roadmap for mm. where I was going even if I kind of meandered off it at times mm. but I suppose that was that was good having that because it, it's quite a long book and mm. it was actually I wrote I think the book's about 100,000 words and I think I wrote 140,000 in the first draft I remember draft. you saying so, at the book launch that you'd actually written something that was yeah, even so, bigger so even you know yeah. a sizable amount kind of went from it so and I guess you have to write that stuff to know that it, it doesn't... I, I, I mean, I like some of the stuff. Mm. I kind of quite miss some, of the, some of the chapters that yeah. went. But I think they didn't quite... They almost perhaps seemed like a different book. Mm. Yeah. Wow. But so I imagine the... Well, it sounds like the process for writing a non-fiction book is very different to your the experience I think of it writing is. a I novel. I mean, this had obviously lots of reading, mm-hmm. um, a huge amount of reading. I mean, obviously... Re- when you're researching a novel, there's varying amounts of reading, mm. and of course you want to you, know, you want to know your your setting, your period, yeah. the characters you're writing about. So you've you've still got all of that, but I suppose because this is there's kind of a, quite a lot of cultural criticism, 
you've, you've got all of that reading and viewing to do. And mm. then because it's a bit psychogeographic and lots of kind of travelling around yeah. Britain in it, I had to actually go and do that stuff, which I think I had to do more than, certainly I had to do more than for my novel was set in Norfolk. Mm. So there would be times Shorter when, I'd, trip. <laughs> yeah, when, I'd, when I'd go out for the day and yeah. try and walk around the wood and get some of the atmosphere atmosphere for it but this involved much more kind of structured mm. going and meandering around places so you have all of that stuff as well yeah. and then yeah then it's still but it still comes down to sitting in a room and actually yeah. staring at the computer screen and thinking well I've got to actually start typing something now yeah so you revisited a lot of places that you talk about in the book to kind of did it help to recapture those memories by going to those places yeah it did I mean the, Certainly, some of the places were places I I, I went to as a mm. kid on family mm. holidays. So lots of, I suppose, lots of it because it's kind of delving back into my own, I suppose, haunted family yeah, history. Yeah. Um, lots of my kind of way into that's only through things like old family slides, actually, mm. because they're maybe the only record mm. of quite a lot of stuff that happened. So I've got all these like yellow plastic boxes yeah. of slides my dad took that yeah. was sat in my loft and you'd be looking through them thinking well where's this and oh, it's Wales 1978 or mm. something and I obviously went back then to Wales I don't remember any of mm. going there actually but it was kind of there's there was kind of a certain magic I think to, yeah. to doing it even if other places where I've been to more recently you know like the chapter on Dorset and Cornwall where I you know spent quite a lot of time with my brother yeah. those were you know yeah they were kind of quite raw and you know really kind of visceral mm. and I would remember stuff but yeah some of the other kind of more far-flung places I hadn't been to for mm. you know like 30 35 or well, yeah. years or something <laughs> yeah. it's yeah that that was different in that regard that's fascinating um you mentioned the research and the level of research you had to undertake for this book. I mean, it seems like a meticulous amount. I, I said I found myself, you know, feeling like I need a piece of paper next to me to make notes for all the things that I should go back myself and kind of, you know, yeah. look into and research. How did you, how did you organise yourself and how did you, yeah, I just wonder how that research kind of process took place. Well, a lot of the lots of the books and films that I that I wanted to either reread or well I was rereading or rewatching mm. them so lots of the kind of books were things that were really pivotal books yeah. people like Alan Garner that I yeah. read as a kid but you yeah. know I haven't read The Owl Service since mm. I was 11 or 12 or whatever it was so again it was I, I had a kind of this image in my head of how much I'd enjoyed them yeah. and a really vague memory that there were yeah. it was in Wales and there were some owls but the rest of it I didn't really so it was like rereading them yeah. reading them for the first time mm. so I kind of knew lots of those books that I wanted to go back to there were other things that were kind of more unexpected there were you know there's some there's some authors in there who I discussed who mm. I hadn't I wasn't familiar with as a kid oh, but yeah. really fitted in with the story so somebody like um E.F. Benson, mm. the, who the kind of Cornish, he was from Cornwall initially, mm. um, ghost story writer of a similar kind of Edwardian era. Mm. I'd not read his stories, oh, I don't okay. think. Well, I, I would have done, I've read them more recently. I hadn't yeah. read them when I was like kind of young. So going back, reading those was, was something I knew I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to talk about, 
I knew they would fit in with exploring that part of Land's End and the, the very tip of Cornwall. Yeah, so yeah. there was quite a lot of that went on as well. Yeah. Was it daunting doing that amount of research? Did you feel like you had a huge amount ahead of you? Yeah, I mean, the good thing with it was that because it's... I suppose the chapters are kind mm. of... They're quite... They're not... They all flow onto each other, and I actually ended up writing it kind of chronologically as oh, well. Okay. So That's it's not yeah. generally. I mean, some of them there's a little bit of tweaking mm. around, but I, I a lot of a lot of it I did kind of in that order. But I suppose I could break it down, and I knew right this is the Welsh chapter. I'm going mm. to go to Wales, and then I'm going to come back and try and write about it, mm. even if sometimes it might have been you know a couple of months after when I did mm. the trip for whatever reason, but. At least I could kind of, I think I, the only way to, I could deal with it was to tackle each kind of chapter and yeah. then just get to the end of that mountain, mm. really, of the particular chapter. It was kind of, if you think about the whole book, it really is quite daunting, yeah. I think. Yeah, there's a yeah. huge amount of information in there that I just, yeah, I wondered whether you were able to store it all or um, just in terms of whether you... Um, like researched and read for a, a section and then you wrote it or whether you had done a lot of research to begin with and read a huge number of books and then kind of started the whole thing. I mean, I suppose the, the good thing is that this wasn't kind of this, it wasn't like ghost fiction and mm. horror films. It wasn't a a subject that I I decided I'm going to write a book about this and I know nothing about yeah, it. Yeah. I was, you do I was absolutely into extent, it from yeah. a kind of kid. So, yeah. and then, you know, more recently I'd, I'd been reading when I wasn't even thinking I was going to write such a book, I was reading lots of M.R. James and mm. William Hope Hodgson and people. So it, in that regard, it, it wasn't a kind of faked interest. So I, I knew lots, I'd read lots of this stuff, mm. but obviously reading them for pleasure is slightly different yeah. to I've got to reread them now and actually try and say something interesting about them. Yeah. So, But the good thing was that I kind of... I knew most of the people I wanted to talk about. They were there at some point in my head. So yeah, you were kind it, of revisiting them. Yeah, so I, I kind of I, I had my own kind of structure somewhere there that I was trying to follow in a weird way. Mm. Connected to that research and that reading, part of what we've um, done in our kind of writers' toolkit workshop program recently, or in the past kind of six months, we had a couple of sessions on. They were called Read Like a Writer, so they were sort of sensitive. It was looking at how going back and focusing on sort of sensitive reading and revisiting the books that you love and looking at how those books have inspired you creatively or helped you to think about your own technique. Did you read any sort of psychogeographical or nature writing books, travel books, memoirs in the lead up to writing this book? Was there anything that you sort of drew inspiration from for your writing in particular? I think before I started writing it, I'd been reading some of um, Philip Hoare's mm. books. I'm a really big admirer of his work. Mm. So that was possibly playing a little bit in my head yeah. and, re- and reading Seabold and things. Yeah. I'm sure all of that was kind of playing into it. But sense. I didn't want to... I know I consciously didn't want mm. to read other books on that subject. Mm. So mm. I think that I remember when I was in the writing process that a, a really good book by Susan Owens, a Cultural History of the Ghost, something okay. like yep. that came I know out. which one you mean, yeah. I've got it. Yeah. And um, I didn't want to read that mm. because, and I, I'm, I've only recently started reading mm. actually after well, well after I'd finished the book, because yeah. I didn't want to have that thing where it's awful when you're writing something to suddenly see, 
oh god, someone else is writing about the yeah, same thing. Yeah, that must be. Yeah. Because you feel like you then can't that you're kind of well, you kind of feel a bit like you're plagiarising it, yeah. or you're just kind of not very original. Like that space and, has been filled. And actually, it's, a, yeah. it's it's weird because reading bits of her book now, yeah, she's talking about similar stories, but I can honestly promise that I've not read it. Mm. These are we kind of independently come to the same mm. themes, I guess, because yeah. we're drawn to the probably to the same kind of strong yeah, writers and stories yeah. and things. So I, I I know that I avoided kind of books like that. So actually. Yeah, other than I think I'd re- I'd read, I think that maybe stuff like Philip's books had informed me a little bit before I started the process. But actually, when I was when I was writing and something like Robert McFarlane or something, I remember when I was planning it, going through and looking at lots of narrative nonfiction and just physically like analyse, just going through and seeing how many chapters and how long the chapters were because it was a new process. Yeah, for that's me. A, an entirely you know, new. I'd world written for one you, novel before, so mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see that sort of side of things and of course you look for patterns and there aren't really patterns oh, okay. everybody aren't does any. it differently so but I, I even wanted to find out things like well you know how long do people tend to write their chapters for in these books and if I write a kind of 40 page chapter is that too long and all, all of this sort of stuff yeah. but you're just kind of learning as you go along I think and I guess every book if <laughs> I can't speak I've written two books they're quite different books but I suspect that every book that a writer attempts to write is feels like you're starting over again, yeah. would be my guess at this point. You describe some very personal memories and experiences in this book. And how was that for you? Did you find writing about those moments kind of cathartic or therapeutic or difficult? Yeah, it, it was quite difficult, I have to say. Um, you know, I would... So I was writing about my parents who died when I was 17 and 18 um, and I suppose you don't I don't tend to revisit on the moments mm. when they were in hospital and mm. things that's something you kind of you don't really want to go back to but that was kind of I, I, I did feel that I, I had to go back to it for this um, you know I was like a character in an MR James story who's digging into the past and you know they, they probably shouldn't do it but they're kind of compelled to I've, I felt a bit like that but that, that was really tough because I hadn't I hadn't not thought about it but you, you tend to because it's upsetting mm. you don't really what's to gain from it but I suppose I, I, I actually I'm, I'm pleased I did because it, it felt like a long time's past and I it probably did me good to think about it again I mean I don't I don't really believe in this kind of that that kind of slightly vacuous sort of concept of closure that mm, people mm, have. I yeah, don't think yeah, there's such a no. thing. I don't think you can get closure. I think there's probably, there was a little bit of catharsis in there mm. and there was, but then also it was a bit kind of upsetting as well. You know, there would be mm. certain times I'd be writing this stuff and thinking, and I still then wonder, well, you know, should I have, I'm not sure I should have written about it, but I think on balance it was right to do mm. and I'm, I'm pleased that I did, I think. But... Yeah, it was quite tough. But then I think I also thought that actually, you know, if I don't write about it, no one else is ever going yeah. to write about it. And I kind of, it felt almost like a sacred duty to yeah. kind of try and bring my parents, give them some kind of presence on a page because I kind of feel like I'm the like the last guardian yeah. of their memory, yeah. really. So yeah, that, that kind of felt, and I, I wanted it more to be about kind of nicer memories in there Mm. um but yeah I guess I couldn't avoid the kind of Uh the more kind Mm. of 
troubling elements because mm. with the nature of the book really so yeah. but yeah it was it was tough to do but I think I think it was kind of worthwhile the right thing to do I yeah. think so yeah. yeah we get a lot of we get a lot of queries actually and a lot of questions from writers um looking for kind of workshops and courses and things that they can do um that focus on um writing about things that are difficult or traumatic or you know we we've had a few workshops on those subjects recently and we do get quite a lot of queries about it and it seems like something that a lot of people were toying with that it might be useful for them or they you know they feel like it would naturally come into their writing when they're writing about you know anything um because it's a big part of their lives but they're quite intimidated to start yeah i think it's quite a scary idea isn't it kind of those yeah as you say, going back into something that's quite... Yeah, and I'm sure it depends what you're writing about. And I I suppose I was... I think I took the view, actually, with the whole process, because when I kind of pitched... When I thought about the overall kind of pitch of the book, I kind of... I knew that it was kind of quite an unusual story, I Mm, think. mm. And to me, it's kind of normal. But it was... It's. I kind of... I, I think I was conscious that there was perhaps something there that people might find interesting. And then I kind of, I guess I took the view that actually I might as well kind of mine my own kind mm. of resources for mm. this because I've got this this kind of stuff that's all buried there and actually, yeah, again, if if I don't do it, then it's just going to lie dormant. So looking back on your writing so far, are there any kind of key sort of touch points that you'd look back on and think, if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be where I am today? I'm just thinking in terms of kind of, courses experience trips even yeah. sort of personal milestones that have had like a lasting effect on your writing well I certainly think if I'd not so I did the I gave up my job mm. how many years yeah I read about 12 that, or 13 yeah. years ago something like that to do the I got a place which I was really excited about on the creative writing MA mm. at the University of East Anglia uh, the prose version of it and mm. um, actually at the time I know I did apply for the life writing one as oh, well because yeah. I kind of thought I'll never get on the prose one yeah. because the competition's too much and I'm quite so I, clearly I had like ideas that I, I certainly I must have been interested in mm. sort of narrative non-fiction yeah. but I, I, I definitely fun. more wanted to write a novel I think anyway I got a place on that and yeah I, I, I gave up my job to do it and then after that I was kind of freelance just stratting around after little bits of kind of freelance work and doing proofreading stuff but if I hadn't have done it I I wouldn't have I don't think I'm the kind of person who would ever have written a novel after work in my Mm, spare mm, time I'm just lazy I don't think it's quite the right word I just find it I think I'm a bit all or nothing yeah I think I have you know like writing this book I had to Mm. be kind of doing it it's it's full-on I think Mm. and I you know it's it's really difficult to do that from kind of practical mm. perspective and yeah. you know tying it in with actually trying to earn and everything else all those but, things you've got to juggle but I don't, I don't think time. creatively I would be I, I think it's I, I admire anyone who can sort of you know get up at six in the morning and write for an hour before they Some go to work do, don't yeah. They? yeah and that's that to me and if they're doing that and doing it well then that's incredible mm. but just to me I just when I used to come home from work I might have had this kind of vague idea that I wanted to write something but I never did because no. I was just I was just too tired, tired. Or, yeah <laughs> yeah or just I just wanted to watch an old horror film yeah. I didn't want to kind of it was yeah so I think 
having that space essentially mm. of, of that year of doing the MA that was brilliant and then yeah then after that when I got the place on escalator mm. when I was kind of struggling a bit because my novel hadn't you know hadn't found a publisher mm. it was I, I was kind of maybe at that point where I was starting to think well this is yeah this is quite tough to get published you know perhaps I ought to give up but I think mm. that getting that kind of recognition mm. to to get on the escalator course mm. I think that kind of probably helped persuade mm-hmm. me to well to stick at it and keep mm-hmm. kind of revising it and I think all of that I think you I think you have to have a thick skin I think I suspect with lots of the people you see published it's not necessarily that they're the there are some fantastic writers on my yeah. MA course who haven't mm-hmm. been published and I suspect it's just because kind of life's got in the way for mm-hmm. them and hopefully at some point they'll get the chance to kind of come back to it yes yeah, so all the chips need to fall into place yeah don't but you? I suspect yeah. it's you know those of us who did it might you know it might just be as much that we've been in the position where mm. perhaps we're a bit older that we we've managed to kind of just somehow hang in there yeah. and I think a lot of it's about that because it's it's a bit brutal and you just it's kind of it's a bit draining and if you don't you've got to kind of keep trying to stick at it and then some weird opportunity might arise like yeah. with this book you know mm. that I was not expecting that that's and really the way that happened I don't know if I've really heard that like, yeah before usually it's yeah it's kind of they came to you didn't they after reading something that you'd yeah written. I mean I think that I suppose that the slightly the I know that the my editor saw mm. it because it was um another I, I so I organized the voluntarily I, I run the the Wyndham in South Norfolk yeah. literature festival mm. and one of the writers who came to that he was also into MR James and I think he just happened to tweet this article I'd written and that he's published by Harper Collins so that was I think how the editor mm-hmm. saw it so there was a little bit of good karma yeah. for kind of having run this kind of voluntary Definitely. festival for yeah. a few years I guess so you never know what will happen yeah, yeah. so I, I guess that's it you have to do other things to yeah. brilliant um final question which is one of those really stereotypical questions that every writer I'm sure gets asked but um is there any advice you'd offer to someone embarking on writing non-fiction for the first time um we do you often get people who've sort of maybe written a novel before and are thinking about maybe trying non-fit for the first time and they don't know whether they can, you know, make that, uh, I don't know, just make that movement across into a different kind of book. But is there anything that you would offer in terms of advice? Well, I'm I'm sure that if you can write a novel, you can... I mean, because a lot of it is also you're trying to kind of imbue a structure into you know, into non-fiction mm. and that was, and I was kind of, I'm obsessed with structure and whether it works in this book or not, who knows, I'm not the person to say, but I was always conscious that I was also trying to tell a story that mm. kind of flowed through the book. Yeah. So and that, and I guess my kind of, by having written a novel before, that that must have helped me in, in that regard, I think a little bit. But I suspect that my one bit of advice would be that to try and, if you're going to do that, write about a subject that you're, that you're passionate about yeah. not, don't try and I, I suspect it, if you're trying to think well a novel on subject X that would be a, popular that, that would be yeah. popular that would get sold I mean that's fine but I, I, you know if you're not actually particularly interested in it mm. you're giving yourself a lot more work to do and I, I think that people will, will kind of sniff out if you're not 
if it's not genuine. Yeah. That's my always my thing. And yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm hoping this book that people will realise that, yeah, this is a genuine mm. interest that was there when I was four years old, kind of going around Carnarvon Castle with my mum and dad asking, mm. is there a is there a grey lady who's, who, when, why do we see her, all this kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, I think that go go with some, if, you, if you're making that move, or if even if you're just, you know, you've never written a novel before and you're just coming to, wanting to write a non-fiction book, if it's about a subject that you're genuinely interested in, then I'm sure that will shine through. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's important. Thanks for listening and thanks to Ed for coming in for a chat. If you have questions or want to get in touch with the National Centre for Writing, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. You can search for our page on Facebook and you can find our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and over there you can also sign up to our newsletter. Meanwhile, you can find me on Twitter at Tarnamus and Steph. And I am at Steph X McKenna. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it does help other people to find it. Have a lovely Christmas and New Year. Keep writing and we will catch you in 2020. The next decade. Mm.